0: So what hard money is, is an entrepreneurial lender if you will.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day guys and welcome to another incredible edition of Investing in the US, an Aussie's guide to US real estate. From Los Angeles, I'm Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, before we dive into it, I just want to take a few seconds to thank all the loyal listeners out there who tune in every week. I just want to say, keep it up, help spread the word. You're all a bunch of champions for the continued loyalty and commitment. So well done. On today's show, we are discussing the world of hard money, understanding what it is, the associated benefits, and how it can help get you started successfully investing in the U.S. The entrepreneur in the hot seat to give you all the cracking insider information is Douglas Dow. G'day, Douglas. Welcome to the show. G'day,
0: Reed. How are you, sir?
1: (laughs) Good, mate. Good, good. I love that g'day. (laughs) Nicely put in. (laughs) (laughs) Douglas is a commercial mortgage broker and a real estate developer. He has over 25 years experience in the real estate financing business, ranging from helping REITs or real estate investment trusts get funded to startups and everything in between. His experience includes a stint as being an attorney before he returned to his true love, which is real estate investing. But Douglas, before we dive into all the juicy stuff of understanding hard money, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a successful real estate entrepreneur?
0: I think my speed reading habit. I uh, read typically three to five books a week. Uh, wow! And yeah, I, I think that's probably the one thing that uh, most people don't know. And uh, of course, when I get into financial engineering books and the kind of the more technical stuff, it does slow me down quite a bit. But uh, <laughs> but I do read quite a bit.
1: That's great. You are always an avid reader growing up yeah
0: absolutely and one of the craziest things in high school i barely showed up to high school but uh, one of the best things they taught me was how to speed read and uh, that has paid me huge dividends beyond what i ever would have imagined so thank, thanks guys speed
1: read i've never even heard about that because i know yeah. i was uh growing up when i was a lot younger my parents cursed me by calling me read uh i was a bit of a slow startup to read but uh back when I was like six and seven, but obviously caught up after that. So I'm all good now. (laughs) (laughs) So Douglas, when I first moved to the United States, I started looking into financing options uh, to help me fund my first real estate investment deal, which was a fix and flip. As I, when I first moved here, I had no credit. I had no credit score and I had no idea about hard money. And and what it was. So I started looking at all these other options to try and get my first deal done. So can I get you to recap on what is exactly hard money and how does it work?
0: Certainly, to kind of give a range of what uh, the the field looks like, the traditional concept of financing is, of course, go down to the local bank, put on my best uh, best Sunday best, if you will, and uh, talk to the local friendly uh, loan officer. And when you start getting into entrepreneurial real estate, Sometimes you're starting to get into a, a riskier proposition, and that therein lies the problem. Especially uh, since the the subprime crisis, especially um, we're we're in a position where we have to be more creative in terms of what we're doing. So, what hard money is is it's a it is an entrepreneurial lender, if you will. They see the the beauty of the of the space and they see how how great a business it is. So, what they what they they're basically filling the gap. And hard money has been around for quite a while, but it, it, even now, right now, I see a Expansion into the space. So there's a lot more op- opportunities in, in this space. Uh, strangely, as a consequence of the increased regulation. So the great news is there there are, are more options for real estate investors.
1: Right, and, and the hard money. It acts. How does it? Where does it lie in the space of using my own capital and trying to go to the bank? Is it that sort of gray part in between? And 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 how does it work in terms of? They secure their collateral, or they 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 secure their interest with the deal itself.
0: The great way to look at it is they are almost solely looking at the project, um, and, and as a consequence, they're they view it as more risky. So on the on the continuum of risk, uh, it is it is the priciest money you will find. Right. So, having said that, you wouldn't want—and here's a prime example—if you're going to buy and hold, for example, that—that's not a good fit for a hard money loan, right. uh, unless you're like going to place it for a little bit and then, then I know for a fact I'm going to get cheaper money to hold it longer term. So it's—it's it's on a continuum, and um, so I, that's what I would say is it's on a continuum of risk, and it's the priciest money you can get. So you have to make sure that the the project is is going to be very profitable for you uh, before you want to go down that road.
1: Right. And just as a a continuation of that. The types of deals that hard money is suitable for, and in my experience of the hard money deals that I've used, are for fix and flips, right? So it typically is a local guy. It might be, I've got a fix and flip in Philadelphia, and I've had some up in upstate New York, and they're local to that region, and they they know the streets, they know the suburbs, they know everything. So you can say to them, I'm purchasing a property on ABC Smith Street, for example. They know exactly where it is, and they don't typically require your credit score because they say oh, I'll, oh I'm going to lend to you or I'm not going to lend to you that's typically how it works right
0: uh, that's that's definitely true the the more local the uh the financing source is to the property the better luck you'll have in terms of um their comfort level with with being less underwriting of the of the sponsor uh if you will so um, that is absolutely correct. You can find somebody local, typically, that says, "Hey, I know that know that area. Your comps are right. You're right on tar- target in terms of what you're looking to expect to spend, and that's where their focus is going to be. If, if the if the comps look good and the area that you're trying to achieve your goal and in the in the amount of investment into the property, meaning the rehab budget is accurate, and they feel like they're really confident in what you're saying in terms of the of the deal, so they are definitely underwriting the deal almost almost solely when it comes to that."
1: And if those listeners out there who don't know a lot about flipping or here in the United States, which is what hard money would be, is very very beneficial for. You know, you buy a per, you buy a property knowing that you're going to put X amount of money into it, and then you're going to have what's called an after repair value. So the hard money lender will look at that, what you think the ARV is called, or the after repair value, and they will typically lend up to what it. What's what's the typical rate that they lend up to, Doug?
0: Uh, you can get uh, as much as uh, 65, 70 percent, depending on how how uh, stout the project is. There, are, there there's a lot of uh, space and competition in this space there, so we do see a little bit of uh, more aggressive LTVs right. uh, in the space now. So, right,
1: right. so what? So Doug's saying if, if if a property is going to be worth two hundred thousand uh, dollars at the end of the day. You know, they will lend you up to say 125 or 130, whatever the math works out to be, and that you want to then subtract the sort of construction budget or what you're going to put into the deal, and then you're going to have left over what you can purchase the deal for. So you'd be looking, say, a two hundred thousand dollar property. You know, ARV. You might be putting thirty or forty thousand dollars into it, so you you really want to be picking it up for no more than ninety k. You know, plus minus. You know, all the closing costs. So just in terms of giving some few numbers for those listeners out there. So, Doug, why is there a lot of misconceptions about hard money, and why does it get such a bad rap?
0: Primarily because it's so so pricey. You know, you can see hard money as much as fourteen percent interest. Right. So again, it, it feels like okay, I'm 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 setting down with the with the mafia here, and I'm making a gangster <laughs> deal, and that, that's probably the the main problem. A lot of folks, you know, from an interest rate standpoint, it, it just sounds so crazy expensive. But it, it really depends on your your attitude and your strategy. If if you have a a solid deal. That you wouldn't be able to do otherwise, or you want to spread your risk amongst different properties, then hard money does make sense from that standpoint.
1: Right, and and just to go more about on about why hard money is, su- is such a high interest rate, and it requires a few points down – you know and, and for those people who are listening, points just means it's the initiation fee so you might use hard money for three months and for a lender for a hard money lender to give you a hundred thousand dollars, it might not be in their interest to go and you have it paid back within three months so they usually typically require a couple of points and points just means percentage so they might say I' going I'm going to lend you this money at 14 or 12 you know, percent but I'm going to require three points down and if that's a hundred thousand dollar loan that's three thousand dollars upfront that they you will need to be giving to the to the lender correct.
0: Absolutely, you described it perfectly.
1: Yeah, and what and why is it such high interest rates? What like what governs that? Is that just the industry, or is that because they're taking such a high risk? What is it?
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, it, it is a risky proposition. Uh, things do go wrong in this space, and when, when they do, they they have a lot of uh, effort in terms of mitigating and basically. Recovering their collateral, they have to go through the foreclosure process. They have to guess right in terms of the market conditions, and and if for for some reason the market conditions changed on that, they still have to. They just basically have to be compensated for their the uh, risks they're taking.
1: Right. So they they're acting like a small bank, and you know banks don't are not in the business of owning property. They're in the business of lending money. So like any bank, they don't want to go through that foreclosure process, and it's a headache and and yada yada yada. So you're saying that. Even though these propositions are slightly riskier because they're not underwriting the the investor as much, they're just sort of looking at the deal. That's why the interest rate is so high.
0: Correct, and and a lot of and also in terms of the sponsor who's actually executing the process and the project. Uh, typically, you know, maybe three to five projects is a, is a good example of someone who's done it. There are, are certainly entrepreneurs that. That really get really experienced and still use hard money, but uh, but for sure, uh, eventually they'll they'll graduate to a line of credit, for example, right. and it, and and get to the point where they're well, I don't need hard money as much. So it is a continuum, and it's not always something that somebody who really gets a you know a, an appetite for fix and flips eventually would potentially graduate to a line of credit type right. scenario to improve that situation as well.
1: And you're just saying it's hard money, you know, acts as this sort of intermediary between. Using your own cash or going down the conventional red tape of, of conventional banks, but it also is a stepping stone to establishing a, a real estate flipping business. That eventually you'll be able to use a line of credit rather than continually, continually using hard money loans. You know, day in, day out, or month in, month out. Right.
0: Absolutely. Right.
1: So, if I'm a wealthy individual and I just want to start lending my my money to people and start a hard money company, what are the regulations out there that I can I just go start lending to people? Surely there's not just, I can't do that straight away.
0: Uh, absolutely, you could. If you're doing it for your own account and dealing directly with a borrower, I um, would highly, highly recommend working with a local real estate attorney to mm-hmm. make sure your, your note is state compliant and then. What's the right word? In compliance, I guess, with the state regulations, and make sure your paperwork is lined up. You want to make sure that title and and all those types of situations are are, are well handled. And especially if you're you're working with a local market that you're miles and miles and miles away from, it, it would really be a, a, an excellent decision to include a great real estate attorney and a great uh, uh, mortgage uh, attorney in your team, if you will. Right. Um, that can help you navigate the process from where you're at.
1: Right. And if I'm shopping around, for, if I'm an international investor or someone who's out of state or whatever, if I'm shopping around for a hard money loan, what are some of the checklists that you would recommend to to someone who's first starting out in this industry to make sure they're not dealing with, you know, they're dealing with credible people and they they, they know that they're not going to get screwed by the hard money lender?
0: Absolutely, want to uh, check around, ask uh, other investors in that marketplace. Uh, highly recommend. Networking with the local RIA, even if you're remote, uh, definitely can recommend bigger pockets for this. It's a great place to really, from uh, from a virtual standpoint, a great head start on, on asking about a local marketplace. Um, that'd probably be my top recommendations of something like that.
1: So, there's no uh, nationwide standard or anything or number to say, oh, you're part of this association of hard money lenders. You're okay, and if you're not a part of this association, you sort of just need to be using word of mouth and, and networking to make sure that you're going with the with credible people.
0: There actually is a great one out there. The American Association of Private Lenders uh, is okay. a pretty stout uh, organization, if you will. I, I like them a lot. However, because it is an entrepreneurial uh, space, there are are some great players out there that that if you just look uh, locally, you can probably get a great name. So what, I, was,
1: what, what was that again it was you recommended biggerpockets which is biggerpockets.com and the uh, American Association of Private Lenders For sure. Okay. Great, great, great. And we've just talked a lot about fix and flipping. Is that, it, you know what else can hard money be used for and, and as you mentioned before you wouldn't want to use it for long-term financing if you're going to buy and hold a property.
0: Yeah, the uh the companion piece in the uh, commercial space is is bridge loans they typically are cheaper, they're not quite as uh pricey as the the fix and flip loans, so you can get look at bridge money uh let's say I've got an apartment complex that's uh sixty percent occupied you know the institutional fannie Mae uh type is not available for that. It has to be stabilized and in order to acquire the property and stabilize it, you'll need some uh shorter term financing that's what what they have is uh, bridge uh lending available in that space and it allows you to you know take control of the property improve it, uh, do the rehab that you need to do in, in, in terms of the operation lease up, uh, for example. So there is a companion piece commercial side. And those are really the only time it makes sense really is, is when you're you're forcing appreciation somehow is about the only time hard money will make sense or you're you're looking for as a financial Type situation where you you've got a, an opportunity that you have to close quickly, and then you know that you'll need to keep working on permanent financing. That's also a scenario where you might use hard money as like, hey man, I just need to tie up this deal. I, it's the only I, if I don't tie it up, I'm going to lose it. Right. Uh, sometimes you might pull that uh, pull that trigger as well.
1: And just for all those listeners out there, hard money works very quickly. Uh, it it can you can get funded within 15 you know seven to 14 days. Unlike conventional a conventional uh, Freddie Fannie loan, that can take up to six or seven weeks and you might lose a deal. So if you come across a deal that's, you know, pipe and hot and you need to close quickly, hard having a good hard money lender who is there on the ground who knows the deal and who wants to work with you and help you grow your business, that's where they come in and that's why they're so popular here in the United States is that you, they can just act so quickly, Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So, Douglas, you talked a little bit about commercial financing, and I know you have a lot of experience in that field. I just want to compare, you know, somewhat some to draw a bit of a long bow, but the ability that an asset to use an asset as collateral more than the, the investor's credit score. So, when a bank looks at a commercial deal, and you, you mentioned, you know, 20 units or whatever it was, what percentage of the total underwriting of the loan will the bank? compare the ability of the property to pay off the loan or pay back the debt compared to the individual investor requesting it.
0: I think the best way to, to get at that issue is look in terms of project size. So typically right. any any loan below $2 million is going to be recourse. And what recourse means is basically you're personally signing up saying, I'm pledging my assets. You can, you know, if things don't work out, I expect to have to basically be pursued for the balance of the paid balance, for example. So non-recourse is basically the bank basically outright admitting, hey, this is so, almost solely based on the project fundamentals essentially saying that's a you know it's a six million dollar apartment complex uh it operates basically spits off all the cash we could ever need we're just not not that concerned now of course they will still underwrite you in terms of what are your operational experience but in terms of actual financial recourse that's that's the big distinction there so anything under under two million i would say Probably still, you're probably looking at a, a 60 to 70 percent is based on the project fundamentals, and then 30 percent based on the sponsor. So, I would say that's kind of the breakdown.
1: The breakdown, and that's for under two million or over two million.
0: Under two million, definitely about a, a, a basically 60 to 70 percent of the focus will be on the project itself, and then yep. you know the balance on the uh, on the entrepreneur.
1: That's that's very very interesting, and, and I know on the the Wood Glen deal, which was over $14 million, they still they still looked at the operators and they still looked at the ability to have spare cash if, if the deal went south. Because as I said, the banks aren't into uh, owning real estate. They're into lending money. So it's a very good way. And I like how you put it that under $2 bucks, it's a recourse loan. But they, if it is commercial and is a multifamily property, they will look at the property and its ability to pay off the, the, the debt. And that's why in general, I've spoken in, in, in quite depth on this show about how commercial financing or, or debt in general is a lot more readily available for multifamily apartment commercial buildings than it is for fix and flips. Because the ability of a property to pay it back is so much greater in the in the multifamily commercial space than it is in residential. You know, Am I correct in saying that?
0: Oh, that's one hundred and ten percent. There's so much capital available for uh, multifamily right now. For example, in, in absolutely all commercial asset classes, but especially multifamily, it's it, it's a, uh, almost a no-brainer to get uh, capital, and if the deal is is solid in terms of its fundamentals.
1: Right, right. Now, and I just want to be clear that hard money financing and commercial financing are not the same process. Hard money cuts through all the red tape, and it can act very quickly. But in theory, like you said before, Doug, I could use hard money to buy a multifamily project, you know, which it needed a ton of work. You know, for say twelve months, I'm just looking at the next twelve months and saying I need to buy this. I'm going to buy a forty-unit project. It's sixty percent occupied, or it could be even sixty percent vacant. <laughs> but you know, you could put some money into it to get it going again, and look at the ARV, and and then you could you could refly your money money out and use a conventional. Uh, loan have you seen much of that come across your desk as being in the world of financial uh, commercial financing?
0: It happens quite frequently. I will say that uh, in the uh, multifamily space, even a lot of the value-add uh, deals mm-hmm. have dried up. There's just been so much competition over the past uh, several years that a lot of the value-add is just uh, is just not there. And and, and, it, and I think what really the way to look at it is, is if you do get that opportunity, definitely the money will be available for you.
1: Right, right, right. And I just want to, I'm sort of jumping around a little bit here, but it's coming to my mind as as we speak, which I think is appropriate to, to bring up here, is that- the way that commercial, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, the way that commercial people or commercial banks value a property is based on the net operating income. And I've spoken a lot about on this show, uh, the cap rate theory and how you if you increase the NOI, you increase the value of a commercial property. In single family residential, you're relying upon other what's called comps in the area. So the ARV that you go to a hard money lender and say, "Hey, hey, sir, I want to Borrow two hundred thousand dollars of you. I think my property is going to sell for a uh, hundred, you know, three hundred. And that's when a local guy is more appropriate for a deal because they they would know if they, if you're going to sell it for three hundred thousand dollars. However, in the you know in the, in the commercial space, Doug, that value is come because they're valuing the cash flow of the property or, or the net operating income. Is that is that correct?
0: Oh that 's absolutely correct and and it gets back to uh, the the distinction and why the the hard money loans are pricier It, it just gets back to that that fact that, that it 's not driven on the cash flow it's it 's based on some market market based assumptions about the where the marketplace is so th- that is the uh, big distinction there so that's exactly right
1: right 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 and you're sort of banking on the fact that someone's going to pay you more for your residential flip. Than what you put into it, and, and you know, if the market goes south, <laughs> you, you might be up the creek. But in, in commercial uh, multifamily, you still have the ability that the, the property is producing income. So that's why I love commercial financing. You know, day in day out, I just I love Commercial real estate. <laughs> yeah, but, it,
0: it, it really is the, the one of the, if not the best ways to uh, to to add wealth, in my opinion. But uh, but for sure you know there's a lot of lot to be said for uh fix and flipping too though there are, there are some guys that are very successful with it and it does uh, it is a business and in a sense, it is different from the commercial investing it's more of a, a a business of in and of itself you know i would say you know multifamily of course is a business but th- there's more day in day out it's not as much as investing as as a commercial project is
1: right right and you know you com- you completely correct and, and don't get me wrong i fix and flip houses as well i just feel that my time is better spent on the commercial real estate Uh, It's commercial multifamily space because my time, you know, the the amount of time I I spend to either projects, if it's a fix and flip or a forty-unit property it's nearly the same effort. I'm getting more return because I, the, the economy of scale is larger and, and I'm banking on the fact that I'm you know, making money via the, the, the value in the cash flow, not necessarily valuing if I'm putting in the right flooring or if I'm putting in the, the correct appliances for that for that area. So it's a little bit of horses for courses and, and definitely we're going to get a few more people on the show to talk about flipping and how to maximize that as a business because it's to, tell you what, it's great. And I'm sure, Doug, in your field of work, you I've seen a lot of people, particularly in the fix and flip world, starting to graduate as the market improves here in the United States to larger like luxury fix and flip properties, you know, so we talked to before about under $2 million for, for recourse where well, you could go about and buy a $2 million property, you know, in the, in the Beverly Hills, here, and I'm sure, you know, places around Kansas city where you live. And, and are you seeing that in uh, in the market as well out, out in, in uh, the Midwest?
0: Absolutely. Um, I think that is a solid play. And even probably I think an under maybe an underrated play right now, I think they're starting to, people are starting to see this, but, I believe that spec homes in and of themselves what spec home is is basically saying, I'm going to build a house ground up and sell it. I I think it's, it's a, it's a very natural progression from somebody who's doing fix and flips. And I think there's a tremendous opportunity in that space right now nationally. So I think that uh, that's where you can see a lot of an opportunity to, uh, to kind of graduate to a little bit different game. Um, And and, and we have seen in the last couple of years, the fix and flip market itself, some of the, the inventory has just become because things have improved so well, and because there's a lack of new product, because uh, a lot of developers left left the game in terms of uh, land development back in 0607, they got crushed and, and really haven't come back to the marketplace. So the consequence is. There is a tighter constraint in terms of inventory, so I, I believe if you can if you can find some way to get a get an infill lot where you can build a build a, a home from ground up, I think that's a tremendous opportunity right now as well.
1: Right, yeah, I, I'm I'm loving some opportunities that are coming across my desk in terms of the ground up construction. I'm looking more at the ground up for multifamily, but uh, it's still it's a it's a riskier play, and you've got to understand a whole slew of other. Um, other information in terms of re-entitlement. but it's it 's definitely a stepping stone as you 're saying to capitalizing on on what is hot in the market in terms of um, making making money and and is if it if a ground up or is it ground up spec homes for single families is it ground up construction for multifamily? is it buying and fixing and there 's a lot of shiny objects out there and I guess the, the <laughs> point i 'm trying to get i 'm trying to get is that you know Focus on one thing and and, and continue your education and, and tune into shows like myself. And there's plenty of other shows out there that, that can help you understand and increase your financial IQ to better be suited to then to choose what you want to get into in terms of real estate investing and creating that long-term wealth. But Doug, with with that being said, I, we talked a little bit offline that about the, the options for international investors to get financing here in the United States to purchase uh, real estate investments. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Certainly, um, I will say that it, it is more challenging. Based on, uh, and, and, and for, unfortunately, I haven't had uh, much uh, much opportunity to work in that space because I'm more centrally located here. I believe California would definitely have given me more exposure to that. But I, I did look into it just to, uh, just to prepare for this podcast and to be a multiple, you know, ultimate value for the listeners. Right. Um, I did do some research, and, and I am pleasantly surprised to find out there are lenders out there that have a comfort level with with that, um, with that, with this issue uh, we do see the United States generally as a, as a tremendous place to, to, to park capital right now and, and the lenders are, are responding to this issue for foreign investors and and have made programs available uh, from both from a commercial standpoint and even a hard money standpoint so that there are programs available out there
1: and and what typically what do you what, what did you what did you come across is it is it just more skin in the game that they require or or, or what is it
0: that is that is definitely correct I would say on average you're going to pay a little bit higher interest rate and and probably need probably 10% more down would be mm-hmm. probably a good generic way to look at it they are taking uh from their standpoint almost a, a non-recourse almost approach where they're they're basically saying well we're not really going to chase anyone to australia probably so <laughs> we're, we're just gonna make sure that this deal has a lot of almost no no lose to it almost to the extent that they're underwriting it so that's pretty much their attitude they're gonna require more more skin in the game and and uh certainly uh will underwrite the project probably very very tightly just to make sure that Hey, if if something goes wrong here, we know we can protect the collateral. is is a is an excellent decision. So that's the good news is though they they absolutely will work with uh, uh, foreign investors.
1: Fantastic. And and I'm going to summarize all the links in in the show notes below to some of these websites and, and places who do do that for international investing. We've had a few people on the show who are, who actually have started businesses you know lending to international investors but but sort of only lending on their own product if that makes sense uh, right. you know, turn, turnkey sort of stuff um, but that's interesting that you said that they they only require 10% down more I would have thought they would have required you know a lot more than that because you get into that sort of issue before like you had back in 2009 with people not putting enough their own skin in the game, and you know banks ending up with all these foreclosed homes. Uh, are there typical are these programs out there for international investors? Are there sort of one asset class that they will go into? Is it is it single family? Is it multifamily? Is it both? Is it retail? What is? Did you did you get any uh, information about that?
0: Uh, my my feeling is that uh, for sure it, it, it the uh, fix and flip space and the multifamily are still so really solid plays because again the fundamentals of both of those markets right now are excellent. So I believe that that's that's why they're they they have a really high comfort level with that. And I think you might get a little bit more resistance if you're coming to do let's say office for example, just, right. <laughs> and that's just generally the that that's a not not exactly a favorite asset class right now. <laughs> um, so if you're if you're coming to the table with with something really great like a, a solid multifamily play, you're going to be greeted with arms wide open, I believe. And uh, same with a fix and flip, it, you will probably look at a little bit higher interest rate than ordinarily would. Uh, you would pay for a, a buy and hold, for example, but uh, you probably can still uh, even for a buy and buy and hold portfolio of say seven seven single family homes. That's definitely doable.
1: So. Right. Right right, and I guess that's that's how they're doing it right is is they they're, they're clustering people come with a lot more capital you 're not coming to the United States with fifty thousand dollars and saying, "Please, can I invest you're coming to most international investors that come have a substantial amount of capital and they could probably maybe split it up over five six, seven, ten homes or whatever it is, and buy that portfolio and the bank's more happy to lend on the portfolio as a whole rather than in the individual you know, ABC Smith Street, ABC, you know, whatever street. <laughs> correct?
0: That's absolutely correct. And that's maybe one of the only shiny spots of of, of the uh, subprime crisis. And one of the things that really was interesting before the, the correction in the marketplace it was – Always a little interesting to find portfolio deals. You could find portfolio lenders, but uh, for sure now, portfolio lending is is a really, really aggressive product in the marketplace right now. And I'd say that's one of the interesting things that have migrated uh, since this process went went down and, and how it evolved. Uh, we certainly see more well, really aggressive uh, lending
1: in that space. And talk a little bit more about that, because that's, that's a quite interesting topic. As I moved to the United States, definitely start to see it that people on the single family side, more to say, was we're saying, well, if you come to, if you want to refi, if you buy three properties or four properties, we will refi on that as a, as a, as a portfolio. So you want to talk a little bit more about how that came to fruition now that that's a, that's a strategy.
0: It somewhat could be more uh, the way the regulations got in place. Dot, uh, dot Frank. And I believe it has something to do with that. I'm not exactly a hundred percent clear of the linkage there though, but I just noticed, and I think, it might just be from the you know the big hedge funds and and saw the opportunity in buying a bunch of single family and they said well hey what you know what might even be more cool than that is we can also lend on portfolios and I think it it it's it's probably just a, a kind of combination of both of those where there's more clarity in terms of okay well that's clearly. A commercial loan. So yeah, if you guys want to jump in that space, go for it. And I think also just they saw the opportunity in in, in acquiring homes and, and just as a you know as a consequence of having so much capital and so much appetite for that space, they're like, well, hey, let's just let's do some portfolio lending while we're at it.
1: Right, and just in general, portfolio lending is more mitigating the risk because if you have got more assets in different areas, you might have one asset that's going gangbusters and you know doubling the projections that it was supposed to. Be performing at you have one maybe or a couple that are doing what they're supposed to be doing and then you might have a couple that are not doing nowhere near what they they were projected to do. So, lending on the total portfolio, you're spreading the risk out or mitigating the risk rather than an individual lending on an individual asset. That's that's sort of the short and the tall of it, right?
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. And I personally have uh, have have not really ever really cared for single family for that very reason. And just uh, if you're you're either 100 vacant or or 100 or <laughs> occupied, it's either or and. Right, uh, right. Portfolio does help that, but it's still I, I'm a I'm a multi-family guy from a, uh, just a, a conceptual basis. I just prefer the idea of a multi-family investment. But but for sure, there's uh, some folks that do really well in the single-family space.
1: Fantastic. And Doug, do you want to just uh, tell tell us all about what what you got in your pipeline right now? What type of deals you're working on out in uh, in Kansas City? If, if I've mentioned failed to mention that that that's where you're from is Kansas City, Kansas. Correct.
0: Yep, I'm in the uh, Kansas City metro area here. Currently, uh, looking actually, assisted living is an interesting area demographically for me. So I'm I'm looking to migrate into that space. Haven't really uh, 100% committed to that though. So we're we're really early in the game in terms of uh, that that space. I'm also uh, also really 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 like uh, transit oriented development, which is more. You you see a prime example is Denver, Colorado has a great light rail system. Uh, they're just now almost finishing building it out and finding a transit station. Mm-hmm. Uh, pl- pl- plunking down mixed use by that by that transit stop is probably my favorite idea, and I'm still working on on breaking into that space. So those I'd probably say those are the two things that consume a fair amount of my day, and in, in terms of also helping uh, investors find financing for their deals. So between those two, I stay pretty busy.
1: Fantastic, and that, it's interesting what you mentioned about that. So you're you're looking at where the where the where the city's putting a metro stop and then you're looking to buy around that area. Is that is that correct?
0: Absolutely. Looking to uh to put in mixed use ideally either condominiums or and or rental housing in, in addition to like a you know first floor retail and maybe maybe possibly some little bit of office as well as part of the project. So it's it's a very intriguing concept to me of of creating spaces
1: like that. And and that's that's you, you you mentioned Colorado. Is that where you're doing it, or are you doing it in Kansas City because they're putting in all, uh,
0: actually a- the the best market right now, in my opinion. I think I'm creating creating some competition for myself here, maybe. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I just personally, I believe that Denver, Colorado, right now, is is really a, a prime location for that type of investment. It has been for a while, but uh, for sure, I, I really like uh, like that concept in in Colorado.
1: Yeah, and, and as an international perspective, you know coming into the united states one of the biggest thing i took away from learning in australia is that you know our, our population in, in australia is very uh small and it, it's doubling in size over the next 20 or 30 years you know it's at 20 30 million people or something like that but once it once you start to double and grow in population there's more increase or demand for uh, uh infrastructure in terms of public transport and uh, a big in, you know key factor and fundamentally it's just great is buying near a train station or a light rail or a tube stop or a subway stop because you're always going to have a flow and a demand in as things gentrify as places grow and as i said you know the the population grows so i think that's a fantastic way to look at it and i'll have to check out denver colorado you you've already got me looking at it yeah it's
0: it is a tremendous uh tremendous concept from a development standpoint it's probably my my favorite concept to work with uh, and like you said it's just it's almost a built-in monopoly almost when you're by that by that train station or transit station it's probably going to be there for a substantial period and, and, and it will probably create solid demand for your project into infinity almost
1: yeah exactly and and as i sort of mentioned before i know here in la there's there's a few transit lines not as many as i'd like to see but uh definitely places you know Highland Park is one of in prime example near where I live if if anyone is from the LA area it's just gone gangbusters recently because you know it used to be a very uh, latino population back in the day and, and quite dangerous well, everything that i've heard but now it's very gentrified and very hipster is you know the words as i don't want to use that word but they, they it is a lot of vegan cafes and yoga studios and it's right near the train stop and it's you know 20 minute ride to downtown la which is also booming so it sort of has a knock-on effect as if you look at a, a transit line where the sprawl is going it will slowly work its way up a transit line, whatever the city might be, whether it be Denver, Colorado, Los Angeles, Australia, England, wherever you might be uh, investing in.
0: Yeah, and I'm really fascinated to see what happens with the uh, California uh, high speed rail uh, that they're that they're uh, working on building. Uh, if if it, that's assuming Elon Musk doesn't beat him to the punch with the hyper tube or whatever.
1: <laughs> but yeah. uh,
0: that should be a fascinating uh, concept as well with uh, with what they're doing with that.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a big one if they build it. <laughs> that's, yeah. If. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you told that they will come, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, so Douglas, I re- thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you today, and with all your experience in the hard money and commercial financing, I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips for the US. You ready to get into it? Absolutely. What's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: You know, I'm a, I'm a committed uh, by nature, genetically almost a, a night owl, but uh, the 5 a.m. habit is golden.
1: Right. You really love going up early in the morning to get a head start. Yeah, on the I day. just
0: I think uh, once I adopted that habit, it, it it I can really see how it's it really changed my
1: world. Really. Yep. I love. I, I'm I'm on early bird as well and i i love getting up early and just getting a start on the day and having a bit of time to focus on myself before the phones start ringing and everything and everything goes crazy so <laughs> it,
0: it's pretty amazing to get uh, get your game game uh, really lined out uh, before that before the world intervenes and, <laughs> and, and disrupts what you're trying to <laughs> exactly,
1: do exactly exactly uh douglas what's the most influential tool you use in your real estate business and why
0: <sighs> Wow, that's tough i i, I really I'd have to say, in certain ways, bigger pockets has really served me tremendously. I've I've, I've networked tremendously with uh, with mastermind partners, uh, potential investors. There's, there's there's a ton of great information there, people uh, to to know that are in your space. And one of the things I love about it is. Uh, if there's any kind of investing idea uh that you're interested in the real estate space somebody on bigger pockets has been successful with it and has been more than willing to share that information so I, that's I'd, I'd have to say that's one of the top
1: yeah that's it, you, and you know hit the nail on the head when i first moved to the united states bigger pockets has and it still continues to be a great resource for myself and and it's a, just a great resource for whatever scale whatever level you're at in real estate investing whether it be your more advanced or you're just getting started to have everything in between so i, I really do and, and i'll put that in the show notes a link to that particular page but it's, it's a blog and it started out to be such much more than that they've even got a podcast i think now i'm trying to get the guys on the show hopefully if they're listening they, they'll come on
0: <laughs> yeah i hope so brandon brandon and josh do a tremendous job with what they're doing over there and, and they've uh, just really created a, a wonderful space for real estate investors
1: fantastic uh douglas what's the most exciting project you're working on right now
0: uh, i'd have to loop back to the uh, transit oriented stuff uh once i get that lined down and uh, I'm, i've still got a long 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 way to go development can be a two to three to five year project yep. so yep. i've got a long way to go yet i'm early in the game but uh I, i'd have to say that's the one that you know I, wakes me up at five in the morning
1: fantastic i'd love to find out more about it a little bit offline we'll, we'll talk about go it more. We'll uh the most who's the most influential person in your career
0: most influential uh, man. I, I've 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 been very fortunate to have uh, some great mentors. Uh, really had a uh, actually uh, non real estate related, but uh, uh, a professor of mine was a uh, was an attorney, but also coached debate, and I'd have to say, had probably the single most influence because you know I could have ended up in a lot of different directions, but having that uh, somebody who who'd, who'd been to law school and really had had gone down some of the same. Uh, path that I, I wanted and really helped me believe in, and hey, this is possible for you. You can do this. And I'd have to say that just based on that, that factor alone, I'd have to say uh, my debate coach probably.
1: Fantastic. That's great. And uh, I love, I love hearing those people. I, that's, that's a question I always love on the shows. Who is the most influential person? It might not be anything to do with real estate, but it has set you on a path to get you where you are today. And and that's probably why they're the most influential person in your career. So well done. Who, 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 what was his name?
0: Uh, it's Dr. Harold Lawson. He did pass in uh, early, uh, gosh, I want to say uh, 2000, I believe, is when, okay. when Harold passed on. But uh, but for sure, it uh, was Adonance. really – yeah, man, such a such a tremendous uh, individual and somebody who really inspired belief in a lot of people, that's for sure.
1: Fantastic. And Douglas, last question. The best U.S. deal you've completed to date?
0: Best U.S. deal? Oh, man, my, probably my next one. <laughs> I, I, I really – I really, uh, I really just don't like to, to look backwards. I like to look forward. I'd have to say that uh, the next one is how I like to answer that question.
1: Fantastic. Great stuff, mate. And Douglas, where can people reach you to continue the conversation?
0: LinkedIn is really the best way to get a hold of me, I believe. And that and our bigger pockets as well.
1: And it's it's Douglas, uh, D, Dow, D-O-W-E-L-L? That's correct fantastic and i'll put all that in the uh, show notes below listeners so uh, keep uh, going remember to click on that when when we get off, offline well doug you've absolutely given the listeners some great insider information to better understanding the world of hard money and commercial financing here in the united states and how it can just help you get started successfully investing in the u.s and you summarize some great stuff about just what it was and, and how hard money works and it's just you know a wealthy individual who wants to lend their money to people to help them buy fix and flips you We could use it to, in a multifamily space, but you'd only use it on a short-term, as you said, a bridge loan. Then we went into more about understanding the commercial side of it and how they're valuing uh, or banks underwrite the property. And we talked about non-recourse and recourse loans. You know, Anything under $2 million uh, is recourse and anything over $2 million is non-recourse, meaning that they you know, they sort of value the property more than they value the person applying for the loan. So some absolute cracking information that you've given to us and, and very excited to hear more about your development deal up in, in Colorado. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a, more, a little bit more about that offline. But thanks, mate, for dropping by and chatting with us. Have a great rest of your weekend and week, and we'll catch up soon.
0: Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Reid. I really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks, mate. Well, there you have it. Some great insider information to understanding what hard money is and commercial financing and how to be underwrite your deals here in the United States. There's a lot of ways you combine both hard money and commercial financing to make it easier to purchase real estate here in the U.S. If you are an investor interested in learning more about hard money or commercial lending, then reach out to Doug via LinkedIn and shoot him an email. I'm sure he's only too eager to talk to you guys who want to get started investing here in the United States and look at your options that are available to you. Now make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Doug and any links we mentioned on today's show. A summary of my conversation with Doug will go up as always on my website at RSM Property Group. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as that's what we're all about on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. Now if you can remember to follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching my name Reed Goosens or RSM Property Group and remember to leave a 5-star iTunes review below as I really would appreciate it as it helps us grow a community of eager listeners eager to invest in the United States. So until next week take care be safe and remember happy investing.